0: All right, well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to Foothill Church, uh, as you've uh, already heard from Shane, but we're just so glad you're here with us. My name is Steven. I'm one of the pastors on staff, um, uh, with, and we'll be with you this morning, and if I haven't met you yet, I'd love to meet you after service. If you have a minute, just shake your hand and uh, get to know you a little bit. Um, if you have a Bible or a smartphone or a tablet nearby, go ahead and um, pull that out, and let's get to Luke uh, chapter 1, verse 39, Luke 1, verse 39, and pretty sure if your Bible is like mine by now, it just kind of falls open to Hebrews. But uh, like Shane said, we're talking, taking a break uh, from Hebrews to do a four-week Christian series. And so uh, we're here in Luke 1, verse 39, and uh, while you're turning there, let me just describe a scenario to you, and just think to yourself if you've ever experienced this before. So you're, you're at church, very much like you are today, and uh, you're sitting in these seats, and you're you're listening, you're engaged, you're not you know on social media, you're not checking your fantasy football scores, you're trying to listen, trying to trying to really take in what we're talking about. And on top of that, the guy giving the sermon is just nailing it, right? It's just, man, this is just fire on all cylinders. By the way, this is a, a prophetic word for today, all right? I feel that. Uh, but it's it's great, you're kind of engaged, you're listening, you're taking notes even, you usually don't do that, and then all of a sudden you have this thought, and maybe some of you have felt this way before, where you're in church and you start feeling like, man, I wish she was here to hear this right now. Have any of you felt that way before? Man, I wish so-and-so was here, could be here right now to listen to the sermon. This would be so applicable to them. This is sermon, it's exactly for them. This would be great for them, for their place in life right now, what they're going through. And uh, maybe you're even sitting here today and you're sitting next to that person and maybe you just, you're praying, Lord, please help them hear the way that i'm hearing it and uh just just open their eyes right make make it make it clear to them what they're supposed to hear and it's taking everything in you not to nudge them or poke them or elbow them right because you want them to pay attention and listen up so what do you guys do when you're in that situation what do you do i mean do you do you download the sermon the the day after and just you know send an email every day to that same person with with a link that's very subtle right now that's a little over the top. So maybe you go on Facebook and you, you share the link there and you put it on your newsfeed and just tag a bunch of people so that way it's kind of incons- inconspicuous, like everybody's just involved in it. What do you do? Man, I've been here before. I've sat in those seats. Pastor Chris has preached up here before. i sat in those seats and i thought, man, I wish this person was here to hear the sermon right now. This would have been awesome for them to hear it because I'm good, right? But they need Jesus. And I, I, I wonder if... If we can just collectively, as a church this morning, right from the start, I want us to take this mindset that some of us have, this mindset that says, you know, I'm good, but everybody else needs to work on their stuff. I'm good, and and just kind of chuck that mindset. And if we can just do that at the beginning here, it's going to make our time a lot more productive and fruitful, Uh, because the topic we're looking at this morning is very, very difficult because any time you talk about humility and pride, it's, it's a little bit of a mixed bag because you got some of these people who, man, this message would be great for them, but they're so proud they're not listening and they're thinking about other people at the time. So if we can, I, don't, I know we don't usually do this, but maybe if we can just take a minute and think about this, because God has so much venom and hatred to those who are prideful. Maybe more than anything else in the Bible, God hates the proud. He detests the proud. He opposes the proud. I don't know about you. I don't want to be opposed by God. God has a lot of resources, right? (laughs) I don't want God to see me as an enemy. And so even if you look at Proverbs Proverbs 6, it says, The Lord hates haughty eyes. They are an abomination to him. Proverbs 8.13 says, Pride and arrogance I hate. I detest it. Proverbs 16:5. Everyone who is arrogant in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Be assured, he will not go unpunished. This is such a big deal to God that we check our pride at the door. And we check our arrogance. And I think we'd be fools not to start a sermon like this and just collectively say, "Okay, what what is God teaching me?" And so if you guys wouldn't mind, just go ahead just for a second, bow your heads, close your eyes. If you're not a Christian, you don't have to do that, just look at me awkwardly, but uh, for everyone else, just bow your heads, and and let's just get our hearts right here. Let's take a minute and just allow God to speak to us, and I don't feel any pressure to do this, but I'll just tell you, it's a great prayer to throw out. God, make this clear to me. Speak to me. The book of 1 Corinthians talks about the eyes of the heart being enlightened, and let's just ask God in this quiet moment to help us see clearly. Would you ask him to speak to you? God, we confess that we don't maybe do this enough. That we come into church our stuff down, open up our Bibles, and just flippantly set our hearts to do church, and we should maybe stop sometimes and ask you to speak to us. So God, that's what we're doing. We're we're asking that as we open up this passage, that you would shine a light into the dark places in our hearts, those areas that are maybe blind spots for us, those areas that we don't see on our own, and God, use your scriptures, use the Bible to shed light into dark places. God, help us to grow. God, I pray that there would be, even be confession of sin and just a repentance back to you, realizing, man, I, I can't do this without you, Lord. So God, help us in that. We, we pray this all in your name. Amen. Well, uh, before we get to the text in Luke, uh, allow me just to provide a little bit more background. Shane mentioned this already, but we're starting a new series, and it's called Songs of Advent and it's a four-week series. We usually don't do series like that uh, here at Foothill. We usually just take a chunk of scripture, usually it's a book, and just walk through it, and whatever comes up, we'll talk about it. But as we kind of were planning our sermon prep, we were looking at what we're going to be talking about over the next couple months, we realized that taking some time to look at this month, these four weeks of Advent, really meaning this anticipation and waiting for the day that that Jesus was born and celebrating that, it was worth kind of pausing and looking at that together, so that's what we're doing here. Um, we're going to look at these biblical narratives from Luke 1 and Luke 2 and these songs of these characters, and so we're going to start with the first one in Luke chapter 1, and um, so if you've never been to Luke before, Luke is a, a physician, and so Luke is actually a little bit more of a detail-oriented guy, and so if you, um, I don't know about you guys, when I was a kid growing up uh, on Christmas Day, we'd always read the Christmas story, and we'd always go to Luke because Luke had so much detail, had so much information in that story. So Luke has this unique perspective, and this beginning part is talking about how how Jesus, who the Savior, who was really prophesied about for thousands of years, is finally coming, um, coming into existence. And so uh, the people, the characters, are all excited about it, and that's kind of where we find ourselves here, and he's going to be born not to this royal family or this king he's going to be born to this young poor unmarried girl (laughs) named Mary so that's where we're looking at let's let's pick up in verse 39 turn there in your bibles chapter 1 verse 39 in those days Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah and she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth so uh, real quickly there's a couple of characters here right so Zechariah, who's Zechariah? He's a Jewish prophet who his entire job, really his entire focus for his life has been waiting for the Savior. He's been just waiting and waiting and waiting telling people he's coming and waiting. And we're in a kind of a bit of an awkward place in the story because Zechariah is kind of in bad standing with God right now because he, did, he doubted God's promises and God decided to mute Zechariah. So Zechariah can't say a thing right now. He is, uh, he's, he's muted. Uh, we also have Elizabeth, here as well. And Elizabeth, we find out, um, just from reading I've done, that Elizabeth's probably um, Mary's cousin. That's their relationship. And Elizabeth, the Bible says she's so old, how old? She's so old that she, the Bible says she's almost dead. Okay, so I, I, I'm not putting a number on that. I don't know what that is for, for her, but she's pretty old. She's getting up there in age. And what's amazing about Elizabeth is that she's pregnant. She's six months pregnant. So she's about to get more amazing news because her cousin Mary probably, probably just coming for some advice and some support during this time for her pregnancy is about to tell Elizabeth, hey, I'm pregnant too and I've never had sex before. That's crazy. So we got this old lady, she's supposed to be barren, this young lady who's never had sex before and they're both pregnant. That's, it's, that's crazy. Okay, so uh, verse 41. I don't know what's in the water there, but something's crazy going on there. Verse 41. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leapt in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? All right, a couple things I want to point out here uh, before we get to the song. Mary is going to tell Elizabeth that she is pregnant. The baby in Elizabeth's womb hears this and leaps in her, I don't know what that means, it sounds painful, but she leaps in her womb, is excited to hear that. The Holy Spirit is among them, and this is just a crazy, awesome, anointed time right now between two cousins. But I also like this too, Elizabeth says, who am I that the mother of my Lord would come to me? Do you guys catch that? Elizabeth is calling Jesus Lord. Jesus is a fetus right now, Right? And before Jesus is even born, he's being worshipped. He's being worshipped before he's even around. I think it's pretty amazing. Uh, But then look at this one. For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy, and blessed is she who believed that there would be fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And then Mary said, in verse 46, we'll stop right there. So Mary and Elizabeth are being swept up into this story that's much larger than themselves. They're starting to realize, okay, I'm not very important, and something very important is happening to me. Let me give you an an example. Okay, so I think a lot of times, us being in Londora, Pride of the Foothills, right, just kind of safe, family town USA, my family lives here, and a lot of times you forget how big the world is. Right? Like, if you have all your your same grocery stores, your kids go and play Little League down the street or whatever, it's just kind of all-encompassing. You're just here. And sometimes it takes going to a different country to realize, man, the world is huge. So when I go to, like, I remember the first time I went to Africa when I was in college, I remember thinking, man, if I called my parents right now, they'd be asleep. That is weird. Like, the world is just huge. And even in the United States, right, if I was to jump on a plane and go to my favorite city, New York... And go there, it'd take five hours on a plane, headed east one way. Uh, if I wanted to visit my sister, who lives in Hawaii, uh, it'd, be, it'd be five hours headed, headed west. So it's just kind of crazy. You start realizing, wow, this, this place is pretty big. And not only how big it is, but how much is happening in the world right now. You guys ever think about that? That's kind of the stuff that sometimes I think about and hurts my head, but if if you think about it, people are doing all sorts of things right now. Like some people are at church, right? Some people are getting married. Some people are at a funeral. Some people are crying and mourning. Some people are happy and having a party and hitting pinatas or whatever. And some people are sleeping. Some people are eating. There's just a ton of things happening. People are just starting with a work shift, right? I mean, there's just all these kinds of things that are going on. And, and then you take a step backwards and realize, oh, we're just on planet Earth, right? And there's a whole universe around us. Like I saw Interstellar last week. Don't worry, I won't spoil it for anybody. Great movie, but you just a lot of it's in space, and you realize, man, the, the earth is so small even comparatively. And I don't know about you, but when I start to think about that stuff, I realize, man, I'm I'm just a blip, right? I'm I'm just I'm just a dot on a huge screen. Am I even important? Have you guys ever had that question before? Like, am I, am I important? And could God even use me? I've had that question before. Maybe some of you are, are here today and you've had, you have, you're in a season where you're asking those kinds of questions. You know, I'm just in high school. No one expects me to do anything, right? They just want me to not get in trouble and get good grades. How could God use someone like me? Or maybe I'm, you're, just, you're, you're a stay-at-home mom, and you got a new kid, and you've been in the same yoga pants for the past three days, and you're just covered in spit-up, and you're like, I'm exhausted. How could God use someone like me? And I think another kind of stage in life we forget about, too, is maybe, maybe you're retired. Maybe you're kind of an empty nest, or the kids have left, and you're on a fixed income, and, and you're like, well, I've had my day, right? My best days are behind me, and no one really cares what I have to say anymore. I'm just the old guy. How could God use me? And I just want to tell you, if you've had questions like that, if you've had thoughts like that, man, you may be exactly the person that God wants to use. You may be it. Because who was Mary? Who was, Mary was a social nobody, right? I mean, this is ancient bible times she was a woman an unmarried woman who was pregnant you know the the outlook was not very good for her and god used her chose her to do one of the most miraculous things in the history of the world and so this is what blows the mind of elizabeth and mary they're getting a sense of man i'm small god's big this job that he's giving me is huge and i'm a nobody i'm socially nobody And God's going to use them, and it's blowing their minds. And the the greatest three decades of the entire world is about to start through Mary. And Mary's just blown away. But that's the way God God works. That's the way God always does things. That's his design, because he wants to use the humble and the willing and the unlikely, because if he used, like, awesome people all the time, it would be like, well, they're awesome. Of course, you know, that happened. But it's only through... These people who really don't have much going on, normal folks. That's when God gets the glory the most. So in Luke 1, she's in utter shock, and so Mary, just kind of overwhelmed, is just going to burst into the song, all right, just like straight up high school musical, right? Just start singing, and uh, here's what's going to happen in the song. The song is going to reveal some great truths about humility and pride and, and kind of how God views those things. So let's go ahead and look at uh, verse 46. He has shown strength of his arm. He has scattered the proud and the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her, Elizabeth, about three months and returned to her home. First of all, Mary's got some great theology, right? Mary, Mary knows who she is. Mary understands her place in this world and she gives glory to God because of it. And as I've read this passage, I've realized this kind of splits into two different groups of people. So, one, we, in one corner, we have the, the humble or the humbled, right? Those of humble estate, those who are kind of normal folks that are just willing and, and ready to have God use them. On the other side, we have the, the prideful people who are, are kind of all puffed up in their own arrogance and pride. And in the midst of that, we have a good, gracious, just God who has an opinion, has an opinion about both of these kinds of people. And so we're going to see here, I'm going to go back through this, and I want to see three truths of those that embrace humility and also a warning for those who are stuck in their pride. So, uh, let's look back over the song, Three Truths of Humility. And the first thing I want you to see is in verse 50. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. Number one, humility embraces a healthy fear of God. Humility embraces a healthy fear of God. In other words, it's, it's not the horror film kind of fear, right? It's, it's, the, it's the, I have this appropriate awe and fear because you are big, and I am not, right? I mean, if you've ever been to um, a petting zoo, first of all, petting zoos are weird. Um, anyway, pet, if you've ever been to a petting zoo uh, with your family, maybe you've been there with a niece or nephew or kids or something, and you know, you're, the kids are in there, they're petting the lambs and the, the goats and the pigs and you know, all, all the animals in there, and of course, kids aren't gentle with these animals, right? Like, my daughter Penny's probably poking the goat in the eye and pulling the ear, and they're just kind of mean to the animals sometimes, Maybe I should just be a better parent. But uh, (laughs) so they have all these animals, but then all of a sudden the animal trainer person goes to their truck and then he pulls out a new animal and he pulls out a fully grown male lion. Okay, just picture this for a minute. You're at the petting zoo. They pull out a lion. Um, The terms have now changed, right? Like I'm not sure if I'm still there with my family anymore. Maybe we've left. Um, I'm definitely not slapping the lion upside the head anymore. Like that's, that's not how you treat a lion. And, and this, is kind of, this is kind of the fear of God a little bit, right? I mean, God is this lion that can just rip you to shreds, and he's among us in kind of our normal world. And this is, this is a little bit of the fear that he's talking about. But Mary will say, look, those who fear the Lord will be blessed. There is a blessing if you fear the Lord. And the amazing part of this is that this, this, this idea is not is not unique to this song, it's all throughout scripture. So if you read your Bibles, you see that, that when Jesus is, is doing his ministry and is around, there are drunks and prostitutes and tax collectors and the social outcasts of the world constantly coming up to Jesus, begging for forgiveness, just kind of sobbing at his feet, and Jesus forgives them and is merciful to them and says, Zacchaeus, the tax collector, come to my house, or I'm coming to your house, I mean. I'm coming to your house, we're having dinner. And this is how he treats those who humble themselves. The the thief of the cross, right? The thief who at the 11th hour says, man, I I can't do this. I don't know where I'm going. So Jesus, I, I need you. And he says, you're forgiven. I'll see you in paradise. And over and over again, you see these stories of people who humble themselves and they receive mercy. But it all starts with a healthy fear of who God is. Number two, Number two is this, humility is often rewarded by opportunity. Humility is often rewarded by opportunity. Uh, Verse 52 says this, He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. Okay, so when I was in high school, maybe you guys remember this, depends on, I guess, where and when you went to high school, but uh, there was this book kind of floating around and teachers would bring it up from time to time. It was called Who's Who Among American High School Students. Does anybody remember this book? Um, so, it was a book that basically, if you were important or successful or had a high GPA or you were involved in a lot of stuff, and you'd be put into this book, and everybody else like me would feel bad about themselves, but you'd be put into this book, and it would be like, hey, look, this person has a lot of potential, and this is kind of the next crop of leaders that will come and, and lead the country. Well, if you read the Bible, if you read the scripture and study it, you'll see that time and time again. The people that God uses and the people that God lifts up, it's like a who's who of losers, really. It's, it's not these high-quality caliber folks. Time after time, God uses people in amazing ways, really, because they humble themselves. You look at King David. So some of you guys know King David was the first great king of Israel after Saul. And David was king, and he was great and he has this great story and everything but at the beginning of his story who was david david was this kid who when the priest came to anoint the next king of israel to jesse's house his dad's house jesse lined up all his sons all seven of his sons he thought and uh had them all come up and the priest is like the guy's not here he's not he's not is this all your sons like, yeah yeah One, Two, three, four, five, six, seven. i think i have seven sons not six David's forgotten. David's in the field with the sheep, with his harp, which is not exactly kingly, but he's out there doing his thing, but he's being faithful. He's humbly doing his job, and he gets an opportunity. He gets an opportunity to slay Goliath. He gets an opportunity to become king. He's a man after God's own heart, but it all started with David's humility. And really, it's it's like, who is this guy? And he comes out of nowhere. I could go on. Uh, Moses, the murdering herdsman with a stuttering problem. Like, how, how are we going to use this guy, right? And, and God does. God does amazing things through Moses. Peter, the blue-collar redneck fisherman, right? He's just, he just kind of says dumb things all the time, and God uses him in amazing ways. Uh, Jesus shows up on the scene later. He grows up, and he starts his ministry, and who does he pick? He picks these disciples that don't have an education, that don't have religious training, these regular guys that are just working blue-collar jobs. This is who God likes to choose. He likes to use the humble. He likes to use those who, who will, will humble themselves before him. And he does it again with Mary and, and, and baby Jesus. And Jesus is going to be here, and he picks Mary, a social nobody, to do his job. Number three, one more truth about humility here. Um, humility produces gratitude, and gratitude produces contentment. Verse 53, um, he has filled the hungry with good things. And I've, I've loved that verse this week, and maybe some of you have as well on Thanksgiving Day, right? Just being filled with good things. Um, I don't know about you, but for some reason our family, like we don't eat very much like, like the day of, and just we just gorge ourselves, right, for that Thanksgiving dinner. And it's just this, you know it's probably unhealthy and stuff but if you if you wait like that you're like you're so hungry and then it tastes so good, right? I wouldn't suggest doing it. But this feeling of gratitude, it can be such a powerful emotion. Right? Like gratitude, it takes the strong, level-headed, unemotional guy, and if he is grateful for something, he will sob like a baby. This is what gratitude does. And when we are grateful for what god has done in our lives it kind of works both ways we become hungry for the things of god and we're also grateful for when those things show up and so it's this kind of back and forth and it's also this stance of humility right like you have to be you have to be kind of humble to admit that you're hungry because a lot of us are like no i'm good i've had enough you, you know, I'm, I'm fine. But you have to admit, like, I'm still hungry. I'm still spiritually hungry. I'm still physically hungry, whatever it is. And there's this posture of humility you have to take on to admit that. But usually we don't say that. As I was thinking about humility, um, I, I tried to define it a little bit, and this is what I came up with. Humility is an understanding of your sinfulness while at the same time understanding the holiness of God and how those two things really should never be in the same room together. It's your sinfulness, God's holiness, how those interact, interchange, how those, how those really come together and how they really shouldn't be in the same room. Um, I think that's humility. I think it's to say, man, I don't have enough of my own. I need help. I, don't, I can't do it on my own. I need the people around me. God, I, I can't do any of this. I need your help. Because what is the opposite of humility? It's pride, right? It's, it's being braggadocious. It's it's saying, man, I got it covered. And I think those who just brag and brag about the things they've done and the things they've accomplished and maybe the things that their kids have accomplished, they may not have a correct understanding of their sinfulness and God's holiness. Let me give you an example, a very convicting one for me anyway. Um, some of us are on social media for their own reasons, right? I mean, have you ever thought about why it is you're updating your status or why it is you're posting a picture? And uh, you may be thinking, man, like, don't take away my, my Instagram, Stephen. I mean, I need my Instagram, right? Um, Pastor Chris took away Game of Thrones a couple weeks ago, and I need my Instagram. But here's the thing. I, I, had, I, I had a kid three weeks ago. Um, her name is Margot Jane. Uh, she's very cute and Asian. And um, I don't know why I said Asian, but she, she is Asian, though. I'm half Asian. Three weeks ago, we had a kid. We're keeping her. All right. So like a good dad, I'm taking all these pictures I'm t- I got a thousand pictures of her, and, like, from the moment she's born to now, she's, she just has all these pictures, especially because she's a third kid, and I don't want her to feel like she was neglected, right? So we have all these pictures of her, and and so I, I go on Instagram to post a picture of her, and I, I post this cute picture of her. She's, you know, sitting there, and, and it's like, why am I posting that picture? Why? I mean, am I doing this because God is good and he's gracious to me and he's blessed me with a child and I want everybody else in my life to see how good God has been to me or am I posting this picture because, man, I just want a lot of likes and I want people to see how important I am and just have my ego stroked. Why do we do the things we do? Ask yourself that question. And that's really convicting for me. Let's move on from that. Um, Humility is an understanding that your best is is not even a blip your best is your best because god created you a certain way and all glory belongs to him like the fact that my wife and i have three kids is i could be really you know conceited and arrogant about that but i i have three kids despite who i am right like that's amazing that god does that it's it's about humility Right? If, if you in your life, if you want to be used by God, if you want to have mercy in your life, if you want to have these opportunities to do amazing things, then we have to be humble. We have to be humble. And obviously, we mess up, and God is good. He's gracious. He gives us grace. And uh, we also see this warning in this passage as well. So um, look at these warning verses with me. Luke 151, it says, He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. Verse 52, he has brought down the mighty from their thrones. So with these verses, they're terrifying, by the way, because they say that God will, if you're arrogant and proud, he'll scatter your thoughts. He'll make you scatterbrained. He says that he'll take away the, the, the the most important thing to you, your throne, the thing that you have the most control over, and he'll take it from you. And this idea might sound a little counterintuitive, but I think for those who are prideful and arrogant, they also seem to be some of the people who are the most, like kind of the least assured about themselves. Their confidence is easily shaken. And so it's always this comparison game of like, what is that person doing? This person is doing. And, and what kind of car does he drive? What kind of house does he have? And I just want to make sure that I'm on top of things and I have, I have the best things happening for me. And this is what the, the, the proud and arrogant say. And so they start attacking people. They start saying, man, you have that because of this. Or you were able to buy a house because of that inheritance. Or you were able to buy that car because of this and that. And you you start saying these kinds of things. Let me give you an example. Uh, Marriage is always a big area where our pride can really hurt us. Okay? So let's say that you're in a marriage relationship and your spouse comes up to you and says, you know what, honey? I think we need to get some counseling. I think it's time to go see somebody, get some help, some counseling. And you respond, nah, it's I'm good. I think we can just kind of work on it ourselves and just, you know, we'll, we'll pray about it and we'll see kind of what happens. Well, no, if that person says that they want to see a counselor, you're not good. Like 50% of the people polled, right? I mean, that's, that's not good news. Uh, I'll just kind of do it on my own. No, we've already been trying to do it on our own. It's not working. Let's go see a counselor. No, no, I'll just get better. I'll work harder at it. No, you're not understanding, idiot. We need to go see a counselor. It's kind of like if you are going to lunch with somebody, right, going out to lunch, and you meet them up, and they have a huge, nasty booger on their face just kind of hanging and, like, blowing in the wind. And it's like, hey, man, are you going to take care of that? Because I don't want to be seen in public with you at lunch with that. And it's like that person saying, oh, we'll just see what happens. It <laughs> might fall off by itself, right? I mean, that would, that would be stupid. You see the lunacy in that, right? And some of us have in areas of our life, maybe it's marriage, maybe it's finances, maybe it's the way that you're raising your kids. I don't know what it is. But you have a huge, nasty booger on the face of that thing, and someone's saying, hey, man, you need help with that. And you're saying, no, nah, I'm good. We'll see what happens. We'll kind of just you know, wait it out. That's, that is pride, Talking, and that, that's the result of that. That's what happens when we allow our pride to dictate our decision-making. And that's what we see the warning here in Scripture. And talk about being scattering, right? Um, people who walk in their pride have such a hard time changing their ways because they don't see it. They don't see it, and you have, to, you have to take on this stance of humility, this posture of humility, and that's the problem. People <coughs> who are proud will not do that. And that's why, like I said, it's so hard to preach a sermon on pride and humility because unless the Holy Spirit does something really amazing in our hearts, which I hope that's happening now, but unless he does that, all I'm doing is handing you ammunition as a proud person to use on other people. We have to humble ourselves. We have to say, hey, this is about me. This is not about so-and-so. This is not about my wife, my husband, my kids, this is about me. God, what are you teaching me right now? Let me wrap this up. Um, if you know the scriptures, you know that God hates pride. As I've mentioned, James 4, 6, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. And as best as I can define pride, I really believe pride is simply saying, God, I, I am God. I, I can do it all on my own. I can do everything I want to do all by myself. I don't have any need or dependence on anyone else. And if you really start to dissect pride, you see the heart of pride is religion. It's, I wanna do it on my own. I can do it on my own, I don't need anybody else's help. And religion is the thing that Jesus rails against over and over and over again. So that's the root of pride. Let me ask you two questions here at the end. and this is for you to just kind of think about and chew on and resonate on as, as you leave here, as you maybe go into growth groups. Number one, is God's favor on you? Think about that for a minute. Is God's favor on you? And I didn't ask you, is, do you have a lot of money in your bank account? Do you have a lot of kids? Do you have a perfect family life? Do you have all the stuff that's going for you? I'm asking, is, is the favor of God on you? Do you feel his sweet, warm presence in your life, in the life of your family? Are you willing to, as, as Mary did, to set aside your plans and your goals and your dreams and do whatever he wants you to do? Think about that for a minute. Think about if you have pride that needs to be confessed. If you have arrogance that needs to just go away. And it has always been and it always will be this way that God exalts the humble and opposes the proud. And as I mentioned before, you don't want to be on God's bad side. The second question I have is this. Have you taken yourself out of the game? Have you taken yourself out of the game? In other words, have you allowed your stage in life your education, your relationships, your singleness, your financial situation, your, you know, whatever it is you, you will kind of call yours as far as your identity goes, have you allowed that stuff to get in the way of God using you? And what I love about this passage is, man, it talks about Mary, this preteen, teenager girl, and it also talks about Elizabeth, who is this older, probably very wise woman. And I think the point of the points here is that God can use anyone. It doesn't matter where you're at. And the moment you call a timeout, pull yourself out of the game too early, and you say, man, I have all these excuses. I I don't have enough money, or I don't have enough time, or I'm too old, or I'm too young, or or whatever it is. I'm too busy. That's when God will move on and find someone else. Like if Mary had done that, because Mary didn't have any of that stuff covered, right? If she had done that, she would have missed out on something amazing. And the moment that we feel like we're too fill in the blank, we're just simply throwing our lame excuses up to an almighty God. God can do whatever he wants to. God can use you if you're humble and if you're seeking his face. Let's bow our heads and pray.